masters, knowing we shall receive the greater condemnation. If any man offend not in words, same as perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Uh, behold the ship, so they be so great, turneth about with such a small hem, or serve the governor listeth. Even so is the tongue little among our members, yet it boasteth great things. Behold how great a fire, little matter, kindleth. The tongue is a fire, world of iniquity, sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. Every beast and bird and serpent and things in the sea have been tamed of man, but the tongue can no man tame. It is uh, a, deadly, a deadly evil. Uh, James wrote all about the tongue. Well, chapter 5 is kind of like that too in Ecclesiastes. You know, a lot of the chapters in the Old Testament, they do have a companion chapter in the New Testament. Uh, and it's interesting when you get to look. A lot of the miracles uh, in the Bible, uh, a lot of Elisha's miracles in the Old Testament, they have companion miracles in the New Testament uh, done by the Lord. And uh, that's uh, always good when you start picking up on that. Uh, but tonight, uh, chapter 5, the Bible says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also divers vanities, but fear thou God. Thou seest the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment and justice and of providence. Marvel not at the matter, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them up. Or that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owner thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail. And he begotteth a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go. As he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. This also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Behold that which I have seen. 
It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him. It is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answers him and the joy of his heart. Father, add your blessings to the reading of the word in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Verse 1, uh, uh, he says, uh, Watch your step when you go to the house of God. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. So watch your step, or in other words, your foot, and make sure it don't wind up in your mouth. Uh, a lot of times that happens. And, uh, and we're, notice we're talking about the house of God. It's always important. And uh, a lot of people say that uh, there is no house of God in the New Testament because we are the house of God. But Jesus said, uh, talking about the tabernacle, He said, uh, you make my father's uh, house a den of thieves and it should be a house of prayer. And then in First uh, Timothy, He talks about the house of God. So I wouldn't go that far as what some do. Uh, but it's always important to watch what you say. But it is very important to watch what you say when you go to the house of God. The Bible says there to be more uh, ready, be more prepared to listen than to speak. Uh, a lot of times we speak at the wrong time. And according to what we've read here tonight, to speak at the wrong time is called or said to be evil. Why? Well, we've all been in good services where somebody spoke at the wrong time and it killed the whole thing. Uh, that's why that somebody said, well, I just had to testify. I thought I was going to blow up. Well, that's good. I like those testimonies like that. But you're never so full of a testimony that you don't have time to say a short prayer and ask God, uh, is this you, Lord, or is this me? And uh, if it's the Lord, let her rip. Uh, but if you're not sure about it, uh, then uh, maybe you need to, need to wait on it because uh, the wrong word can kill the service. The wrong word can hinder somebody from going to the altar. Uh, uh, maybe somebody's just ready to go to the altar and somebody not led of the Lord, maybe not intentionally, but not led of the Lord, they get up and talk for about 10 or 15 minutes and uh, the Lord's not in it. By the time they get done, the person's done out of the, done out of the mood to come to the altar. Uh, and on the other hand, sometimes you get up, you know, and the Lord is in it. You say the right word, service breaks open and uh, God just used that. So he's saying, he's saying be careful. And because uh, sometimes we can do or say stuff that makes somebody not want to come back. Amen. Uh, so if the Lord's in it, I know uh, there's some people that they don't want the truth, and if they hear it, they're not going to come back. Uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about uh, getting up and saying something in the flesh uh, that would cause somebody not want to come back to the house of God. Uh, it might distract them from, uh, from a lot of things. And uh, we don't want to distract from the working of the Spirit. Some people, you notice, uh, 
the Bible talks about be ready to listen. And uh, we ought to, that'd, that'd be a good prayer for us all to pray when we go to church. Lord, help me to listen real good today and hear what you want me to hear. Uh, after years of pastoring, I've noticed some people just have a knack of messing the service that had exactly what they needed to hear. And, uh, you know, you don't prepare sermons. Uh, you shouldn't prepare sermons like, uh, I'm going to fix this sermon here because Steve Prutt needs to hear this. You don't prepare a sermon for that reason. But sometimes God gives you a message, and when God gives it to you, if you know the state of your flock, like the Bible says you ought to as a, as a pastor, you can't help but knowing this is what brother so-and-so needs to hear. And nine times out of ten, the devil do everything he can to make sure he ain't there to hear it. I remember years ago, one, uh, uh, one morning, me and a preacher here in town was having a breakfast, and uh, he had had a revival, and uh, he'd preached on Sunday, and he said, God gave me this message, and he said, man, he said, it was, there's a family in my church that they just needed that so bad, but he said they wasn't there. And he said, I guess it wasn't God's will for them to hear it. And I thought, man, you surely ain't that dumb. If God gave you a message and they needed to hear it, it wasn't God that kept them from coming to hear it. Uh, it was the devil. Uh, but uh, I've noticed that, and sometimes even if they're there, they'll be talking or doing something else, and they'll miss what God's got for them. Uh, we ought to come to church with a thought that God's got something for me. And uh, I know sometimes people say, Preacher, that sermon was just for me. But God don't never fix sermons just for one person. He's got something on there for everybody. Now, uh, would you uh, would you mother set the table just for one kid if you had seven? No, you're going to feed them all. Uh, but there might be one, you know, that does need something and you're going to get that to them. But whenever we come to church, the Lord is going to feed us all uh, if we'll take what He you know, wants to give us. Verse 2 said, We're for or said, be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth, therefore let thy words be few. Now we're talking about in the house of God. Uh, the Bible said in Luke 16.45, there is a connection, you know, between the heart and the mouth. Uh, someone said, uh, what's in the well of the heart will come up in the bucket of the mouth. And uh, the Bible says that in so many words. The Bible says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The Bible said, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So whatever we talk the most about, that's, what, that's where our heart is. And uh, so uh, you can make a, a mistake by not speaking sometimes, and you can make a bigger mistake by speaking sometimes. Keep in mind that God is in heaven much higher than us. Therefore, our words are to be few. John Wesley, the Methodist preacher, uh, who was hyper-separated, uh, preacher of holiness, and John Wesley 
said he would not engage in conversation with any person or the same person over 15 minutes. said after that it becomes sin. Give the altar call now or wait? Uh, but what he actually said and wrote in his diary, he said that after, he noticed that after 15 minutes you quit talking about things and start talking about people. And so he wouldn't engage uh, in long conversations. Ecclesiastes 5 and 3, For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of his words. All right, we all have had crazy dreams. You have crazy dreams when you eat too much. True? Uh, Eat late at night, especially eat things like uh, pizza or spicy stuff. Uh, That's when you have them wild, crazy dreams at night. And what he's saying is, he's saying, For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of his words. So too much talk and too much to do and too much to eat. Sometimes uh, once the brain gets disengaged at night, you know what happens when you go to sleep, your, your, your mind's disengaged. You're no longer in control of it. That's why when you have dreams and, uh, and you wake up feeling bad about the dream you had, well, you really weren't in control of that. Uh, you're asleep. Your mind is kind of disengaged, uh, so to speak. And uh, and so what you talked about that day, what you watched on television that day, what you eat that day, who you run into that day, that's a multitude of business. You've had a real busy day. So when you lay down to sleep and you disengage the brain, it all runs together. You have these crazy dreams. Now, I dream a, a lot. My wife says she don't hardly ever dream. Uh, but how many dream every night? All right. Uh, eat too much every night. You know, there's certain foods, if you want to dream, eat a lot of pizza, a lot of Mexican chili, uh, wrong food late at night, you'll up your chances uh, of having a dream. Uh, but the good thing about dreaming, it ain't like life. Uh, you know, if you have a bad dream, and you wake up in a cold sweat, and uh, and you wake up and just long enough to remember it is a dream, you can always go back to sleep and make it end up right. That's what I like about dreaming. And uh, when I quit the factory, uh, I'd wake up sometimes for about the first two or three years. I'd wake up at night thinking I was tearing the lead, and these Donnelly guys know what I'm talking about, and I was feeding it through the press, and or I'd wake up thinking it was third shift and I had to get up and go to work and I'd wake up in a cold sweat. Now, boy, it's a good feeling when I realized, hey, that's just a dream. I don't even work there no more. Uh, so that's kind of the good side of, of, uh, of dreaming uh, is that. Uh, so uh, the Bible, I had this one dream I used to have all the time. I ain't had it in a while. Uh, thank the Lord. But I'd be somewhere and the church would be packed and they just keep coming in. And uh, 
and uh, and I get up to read my scripture and I tell them where to turn and I look down in my Bible and every page is blank. And I just keep turning and turning and turning and I'm making excuses and saying things trying to let the time run out, you know, a little bit longer. And uh, and finally, uh, I wake up, you know. That's a bad feeling for a preacher. Uh, you get up and you tell the people where to turn and you can't even find it in your own Bible. Uh, that, that's a bad deal. Uh, but I hadn't had that dream in a long time. But I used to have that quite often. I've talked to some other ministers and they said they, they had a dream like that too, so I guess it kind of goes with the territory. So he goes from uh, dreams uh, to vows. And he said, When thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Of course, the, the basic thing is, if we vow something to God, we ought to pay it. Now, uh, a lot of times people say, well, if that's the case, I just ain't going to vow nothing to God. Well, that's not what the Lord's saying. It is good to make vows to the Lord. The Lord's just saying, if you make one, make sure I'm in it, and you pay it. You do what you say you're going to do. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, stuff in the Bible about making vows. Uh, evidently, Jonah had made a vow to the Lord. And... Uh, being a preacher, I think I know what his vow was. He probably said when the Lord was calling him, he said, Lord, if you'll call me, let me know you're calling me, Lord. I'll go anywhere you want me to go, and I'll do anything you want me to do. So several years later, God said, go to Nineveh. And uh, Jonah said, I'm not going to pay that vow. Well, it's not good not to pay your vow. Jonah went to Whale University like I preached the other day. And, uh, and Jonah finally in verse 9 of chapter 2, Jonah said, I will pay that which I vowed. Uh, I'll tell you one of the classic cases of making a vow in the Bible is in Judges 11 verse 30 through 35 by a man named Jephthah. And that's uh, good reading over there. If you read it sometime, I won't read it tonight. But Jephthah uh, made this vow, and the thing about it, he didn't have to make it. Uh, the Lord didn't say nothing about him making a vow, but he's going out to fight this battle, and Jephthah tells the Lord in Judges 11, 30-35, he says, Lord, said, when I come back, if you'll let me win this battle, he said, when I come back, whatever comes out of my house first, I'll sacrifice it to you in a burnt offering. He's thinking a chicken or a dog or a cow. And the first thing that come out was his daughter. Uh, and Jephthah kept his vow. Uh, he told his daughter and she said, well, if you've made that vow, you need to pay it. Jephthah kept his vow. Now you have to remember that that was in a time when every man done that which was right in his own eyes. Uh, and uh, the judges were, were ruling at that time. God doesn't operate that way. And, uh, but Jephthah kept his vow. Uh, classic example of that. I remember years ago up in the old building, we were going to try to get us some new pews. And, and it was going to cost us $500 a pew. And so we got that going. And I preached on a Sunday morning. 
and there was a man that come to the altar, and uh, and uh, I bent down, and and he got up, and he handed me five hundred dollars. I said, "What's this?" He said, "It's to go on them pews." He said, "I got in a jam one night, and I vowed to God that I'd give this money." And he said, "I never have done it." And he said, "I want to give it this morning." And uh, so he gave that money. This man was a big gambler. And uh, my, I don't know this, but my thoughts was he got in a big gambling thing and he got in a jam and he told the Lord, Lord, if you'll, if you'll let me uh, win, Lord, I'll, I'll give you $500 for it. Say, the Lord, take him up on that. Evidently, he thought he did. You say, you mean you took that money? Yeah, the devil had it long enough. I don't know where he got it at. That might not be the case, but I do know he was a gambler. And uh, he had made a vow to God. Now, if you make a vow to God, you see, Jethro didn't put no stipulations on his vow. He said, first thing that comes out, I'm offering it. Now, if he had said, Lord, I'm going to make a vow to you, the first thing that comes out of anything other than my daughter or my family, I'm going to offer it. See, that would have been putting a stipulation on it. And it's good when you make a vow to the Lord to put a stipulation on it. What do you mean? Well, like Lord, uh, Lord, I'll take that Sunday school class and I'll do it. Stipulation, the Lord willing. That's always good to tack on a vow, the Lord willing. Or Lord, I'll drive that van. I'll make a vow to drive that van. Stipulation, God being my helper. So you put a stipulation on it. Uh, Lord, uh, uh, I'm going to I'm going to teach that class uh, at the uh, ladies' meeting next month. If God's by His grace will be my helper, I'll do it. See, those are the stipulations. That's smart to put a stipulation on there. And notice the stipulation. It's not on you. It's on God. The Lord willing. God being my helper. By God's grace, I'll do it. Now, uh, we've never done much of this, but when we paid our building off, we did take pledges, and people were wonderful to give it. But uh, we always make a stipulation when we do things like that. We say now, because you make the vow before you do it. You say, I'll give $2,000, and you may not have the $2,000 at that time. So you make the stipulation Lord, if you'll give it to me, I'll give it. That's like faith promise. Lord, I'll give $150 a month to missions if you'll give it to me. See, that makes you and God a partner in it. And God will give it to you. Uh, the way He might give it to you, you might be, you might be going to... Uh, you might be going to Colton's tonight after after service to get a steak supper, and as you start up the hill, the Lord said, why don't we go to McDonald's tonight and put that extra money in missions? That might be the way God does it, see. Uh, but whatever we do, you know, that's just, good, that's just good theology. Whatever we do, we need to ask God to be our helper. Don't you think so? Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 5 Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Uh, you and I, 
have made the statement or we have said something and then we've come along and I'm sure you'll be able to identify with this. Have you ever said something, told somebody something, and then a little bit later on you said, I wish I hadn't said that. Or you told somebody something and as they're walking away you're thinking, I wish I hadn't told them that. Well, in that case, you know, it would be better, it would have been better not to have said it, and it would have been better not to have told them that uh, until you were sure, you know, about that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's better to not vow and not to pay, but it's still better to vow and to pay than it is to vow not pay. So a lot of people. I've taught on this back through the years, and every now and then somebody says, well, I'm not vowing anything to God if that's the way it is. No, you don't. the Lord's not saying that. He's just saying, just make sure your vows of the Lord. And ask God to help you to do it. Okay, verse 6. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands. So your mouth can cause your flesh to sin. Uh, your mouth can cause your flesh to sin. How? Well, we, just like I said, we, we can say, Lord, I'm going to do something, and then our flesh don't do it. Our mouth has caused our flesh to sin. Uh, and you know, uh, you can't cover it up by saying, I, you, ever, you ever did this? You ever... You ever said something and you and you meant it really, but after you said it in second thoughts, you said, uh, "Well, I didn't really mean that," or, "Oh, I was just joking. I was just joking." But you did mean it, and you wasn't joking when you said it. And what the Bible reminds us of there is that we said it. Uh, it said, neither say before the angels that it was an error, wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands. So basically what he's saying is, it's kind of like Sarah. You remember Sarah over in the Old Testament in Genesis 18? And uh, God said to Abraham, he said, Sarah's going to have that boy. And Sarah's in the tent there and she laughs. And God said, Sarah, why'd you laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. He said, oh, but thou didst laugh. So that's like when we say, I was just joking. And God said, I heard that and you wasn't joking. You say, I didn't really mean that. And God says, I heard you and you meant it. You meant it. So that's what the verse is uh, saying here. God knows because He's in heaven, He hears everything. A uh, man in the hospital years ago, I was visiting, and uh, he was dying. His kidneys shutting down, already shut down. Doctors told him he'd be dead in 12 hours. I just happened to walk in as the doctor walked out. This man hadn't ever lived for God, and, and uh, he was rough, boy, just rough talking, and, and uh, about as rough as I ever heard talking. But boy, he was tore up that night. And I went in, he said, Preacher, pray for me. And he said, pray that God will let me live, let my kidneys start working again. He said, if they do, he said, I'll come to church. I'd asked him a hundred times to come, and he never had come. And uh, so I prayed, prayed, and I guess God had mercy on him. 
Next morning, he was sitting up in bed, kidneys working again. And uh, he didn't come to church uh, then. But later on, his kidneys got messing up again. And he showed up at church. But he ended up dying not long after that. Too late. Too late. Uh, So God hears what we say. God hears what we say. Uh, verse 7 the Bible says for in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also divers vanities but fear thou God Uh, well the more we talk the more chances of us uh, sinning or making a misquote Uh, he says there uh, for in the multitude of many words there are divers vanities, but, to, but fear thou God. Verse 3 said, A fool is known by the multitude of his words. Paul said, I'm a fool for Christ's sake. Preachers say a lot of words. And the more you talk, the more chance you have of, of making a misquote or making a, uh, a mess or saying something, even though you don't really mean to. But if you're standing up talking all day and you stand up talking every day, you've got a lot better chance of messing something up than somebody that don't say much. Uh, Paul said, I'm a fool for Christ's sake. Uh, he said in uh, one place, he talked about those that God called. He said, not many wise, this, that, and the other. Second uh, uh, Corinthians 12 and 11, he said he became a fool for Christ's sake. So our talk needs to be guided by what the verse says, the fear of God. Uh, I'm sure all of us have started to say something, but we didn't because we sensed God wouldn't be pleased with it. Have you had that experience? I've had that experience. I've started to tell somebody something or, or say something, and the, the Holy Spirit at that moment just kind of said, you don't need to say that. Didn't say it. Why didn't you say it? Because, like he said, fear thou God. If God says don't say it, don't say it. You say, what if you do say it? Well, you you'll have to ask God to have mercy on you and forgive you for it. I guess. Verse eight: If thou seest the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment, justice at a providence, marvel not at the matter, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth. And regardeth, and there be higher than they. So you see something that ought to not be going on. You can see that any direction you want to look nowadays. Uh, and there's not a lot sometimes, really a lot of times, not anything you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. Uh, because of the hierarchy, because of the power, because of the wickedness in high places. Uh, so uh, people in power... Uh, that you see doing stuff like that, just remember that there's somebody higher than you. And there's somebody higher than them. And even though you can't do nothing about it, God can do something about it. I remember when uh, Jonathan Young was on trial the second time, and I went every time, every time, sat through the courtroom, and, of course, at the end of it all, after it all panned out, uh, the judge gave him a very, very strict sentence, even more than what the jury recommended. 
And uh, and this is not gossip because Brother Stacy told me this himself. After they gave that sentence, uh, Brother Stacy went up to the judge, and uh, and he asked the judge. He said, "Sir, why did you give my son such a hard sentence?" And the judge says, "Because I can." And the man that they murdered, I played golf with, and he was my friend. Stacy couldn't do nothing about that. And I don't know this is, you know, I don't know this is what, but just a few months after that, that judge dropped dead with a heart attack on a golf course. God is higher Just remember when people do things the wrong way and you can't do nothing about it, and though they be high in their power here, there's somebody higher than them. And that's really why he got the second trial was because of all that. Uh, So, you know, in the world we live in, you see a lot of injustice that you can't do one cotton-picking thing about except pray. And it'd be easy to get discouraged and say, what's the use? But the encouragement in the verse here, looking under the sun, it looks like you're fighting a losing battle. But above the sun, there's somebody higher than the authority, the president, the judge, the king, the potentate, or whatever. And basically what it's saying is God will make it right in the end. God will make it right in the end. Justice will prevail in the end. And sometimes it won't prevail until the end. Verse 9, Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. Easy verse. Everybody lives off the earth. Did you eat a tomato today? Come from the earth. Uh, Did you eat a hamburger today? Come from the cow that eat the grass that come from the earth. Uh, Everybody doesn't matter. Uh, You and I, you know, we live from week to week at the best month to month. And uh, but the same thing that fed us fed the Bidens today. All the food comes from the earth, from the earth. Now the problem with that is that it comes from the fields and the problem of it is is they're doing away with the fields. Everywhere you look, they've, they've cut down trees, they've bulldozed uh, out, they're, they're building houses one right after the other. You say, preacher, that's just progress. Yeah, I understand that. But you can't eat houses. You can't eat malls. You can't eat ball stadiums. Uh, you can't eat housing projects. They're doing away with the fields. With the fields. And they got all this, you know, stuff out there in the future, you know, that eventually they say that, you know, you'll sit down, lay your three capsules out in your plate and swallow them and you just had to supper. I don't think that'll ever fly around my house. Do you? Uh, not as long as there's a hot dog or a roll of bony somewhere uh, that we can get our hands on. Brother Marty, give a hearty amen on that. 
some fields that uh, some field grew the feed to what you eat today. Uh, so, so everybody, that's what it's saying here. He's saying, moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. It's for all. The fish, Bill, you catch them fish, you catch and clean. Uh, the deer, uh, Brother Steve, uh, all that is fed by the earth. All that feeds us is fed by the earth. And uh, so everybody profits from it. Now, uh, if we have, if we let some have their way, uh, like the Bill Gates and uh, and uh, some of these others that want to do away with you know about everything, I seen the other day where George Soros, what a wicked looking old man he is. Uh, looks like God would have done killed him, don't he? Edit that out. But you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, Though a sinner, and that's what he is, though a sinner do evil, this Ecclesiastes 8.12, a hundred times in his day be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God. So you see all these, uh, some things don't make a lot of sense, and under the sun, why would God take some of our good people out of the church too early in life and let somebody like George Soros still live? I don't know. But George Soros, I seen him the other day, and I seen this the other day, that they were talking to him, and he looked like death warmed over. He looked like he was a hundred years old. I think he is about 90. And he was on there talking about that they want to try to start controlling the weather. And they're working on things to, uh, to make it rain or to make it, you know, not rain. And, and uh, this is real. I mean, they're, they're really wanting to do that. I remember one time years ago, me and Shorty Roten was talking out at his house. And I said, Shorty, I said, I read something the other day that, uh, that uh, they're going to start try, trying to control the weather. And he said, by Jacks, they might do a lot of things, but he said, I don't believe they're that smart. Amen. But what a mess. What if they could control the weather? What a mess. we got a big enough mess as it is. But you know, the Lord's not going to let that happen because the Lord uses the weather for judgment Himself. And... Uh, uh, Hired East, uh, hired East Elp, uh, hired Elps in his uh, thing I showed here a few years ago about the oceans. He said, "There's as much water on the earth as there ever has been." But he said, "God moves it around to bring judgment on certain places, certain areas that God moves it around. And what used to be over here, it's over here now." And what used to be over there, it's over there now. God has His way in the famine. Did you know that during the tribulation, and this morning, me and Max Helen sitting on the couch drinking coffee, and and uh, and she turned the TV on, and it was already on 
uh, Newsmax, and this newsman come on, and and what he said, I looked at her and I said, "That's prophetic." Here's what he said. He said, "We got China, we got Russia, we got Iraq, and we got North Korea, the four horsemen." I said, "Wow." He don't even know what he's saying. But the Bible says there is going to be four horsemen that God's going to let them take peace from the earth. So God, He uses all of that stuff. I remember, uh, during the tribulation, it's going to be a famine. It ain't going to all be because of nuclear bombs and, and war. A whole lot of it's going to do because there ain't no rain. You can read in the Old Testament where God withholds rain. Matter of fact, you might have a type of it in Elijah who, is a, who is, appears again in Revelations uh, 11. And he, he said it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain for the space of three and a half years and the Bible said there wasn't even any dew. Now you know you can go a long ways on dew. But if you ain't getting no rain and you ain't getting no dew either for three and a half years, everything's going to die. Everything's going to die. I always use that as revival. You know, you may not, uh, may not have a big sweep in revival, but as long as you got a little dew, God moves into services a little bit, you can keep going. But when there ain't no rain and there ain't no dew, and God shuts up to heaven, it's famine and it's tribulation. It's tough times then. Uh, so, moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. So God's saying, uh, this is not to hug, your, hug a tree, people, but God's saying, take care of the earth because it's what's taking care of you. So some of that stuff's good. Ecclesiastes 5 and 10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Okay, it don't say, now watch this, and we, you know we can read the Bible and subconsciously read it to say what we want it to say. I've caught myself doing that. Have you ever did that? Subconsciously, and then all at once you stop and you say, it doesn't say that. And it doesn't say, uh, it doesn't say, he that hath silver shall not be satisfied with silver, but he said, he that loves it. Big difference. You see, that cross references with 1 Timothy 6 and 10. Uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. The person that's trying to get rich, trying to be a millionaire, they're the ones that the Bible said will wind up in many hurtful sorrows. Silver can't make you happy. What a character Brother Earl Hughes was. I, oh, one of the great regrets of my pastorate is that I didn't get Earl Hughes into our church before God took him home. Uh, I was in two meetings with him, two camp meetings with him, and Earl Hughes was a very unique character. 
He was a little old man, weighed about 120 pounds. And uh, he lived by faith uh, more than any preacher I guess I ever know. And they called him the hobo preacher. Because if you had him in for revival and you let him stay in your bedroom and you were about the same size as him, he might just come out wearing your suit the next morning. And Brother Earl, uh, they had a big meeting down in Texas and Earl wanted to go. And he asked some preachers if they would let him ride with them. And they, they didn't care much for Earl, so they made excuses. So Earl hitchhiked all the way from Georgia to Houston, Texas. And when those preachers pulled up on the porch, Brother Earl was there welcoming people in. And Brother Earl was the one that had a little three-cylinder geometric car that had over 600,000 miles on it. And he'd drive it to all his meetings. He wasn't like me. He didn't stop at Golden Corral every 10 miles or uh, Ryan's. He'd put a loaf of bread in his car and he'd pull over at a rest stop and he'd get that bread out and he would eat that bread till he got where he was going. And his theory was, why should I spend my money going there when they're going to feed me when I get there? And uh, he was just a, just a unique Man, I heard him preach at Brother Broughton's first time I met him. He preached out of John 14. Uh, he preached out of John 14 uh, in my father's house and many mansions. Next time I heard him, I heard him up Victory Baptist and he preached about the Syrophoenician woman and uh, preached about that. Uh, both times I, I stood in amazement. I was astounded. And uh, he come to a count meeting. The count meeting had ended. And, uh, and preachers were standing around saying their goodbyes and somebody looked out and they said, look, Earl must have car trouble. said, he's got the hood up on his car. We need to go help him. And they got out there and when they got close, they seen he didn't have trouble. He had his hands laid on that little old three-cylinder motor saying, God, let this get me back home. I said, maybe we need to quit laughing at Earl and start praying over our V8s. He was a very unusual man. He said he went to a meeting. He preached Sunday morning. He was going somewhere else Sunday night. And he said that uh, he done told the Lord, wherever I come at, at 6 o'clock, I'm stopping for church. And said so he got to this little white church. And, and when he seen people going in, he realized it was a, a, a black church. And he went on in anyway because he done made his vow to the Lord. He said he went in there and said they had a, a large uh, black woman pastor doing the preaching. Don made his vow to the Lord. He said he listened. They said, how was it, Earl? And he said, well, she did a lot better than I wanted her to not to be ordained. Y'all know Harry Nix. Y'all remember Harry Nix? What a great preacher Harry Nix was. Now, they kind of called Harry the hobo preacher because Harry was a whole lot like Earl. And Max Helen told me this. 
uh, Harry was having a hard time. He had some bad stuff going on. And he was depressed bad. If you were here in that meeting, you knew it. So on Monday, he was supposed to preach all week. On Monday, I said, Harry, I said, I know you're under a heavy burden. I said, won't you just stay in your motel room? You come when you feel like coming. I know you're going through real big problem. I mean, big problem. And he hugged me and he said, oh, thank you, Brother Rick, so much. And so I didn't see Harry no more to about the end of the week. And I thought he was standing in his motel room except at night. And then after it was all over, Max Helen was talking. It come up and she said, oh, he's up there talking to us every morning. I said, what? She said, yeah. I said, he comes up there and talks to us. And she said, uh, <clears throat> said me and him were sitting down at the table talking. And said, I was eating a sausage and biscuit and I'd eat about half of it. And said, I... Just kind of laid it down on my napkin and said, Harry said, what are you going to do with that? She said, well, that's all I want. I'm going to throw it away. He said, I'll eat it. He just picked it up. He started eating it. And that guy from Somerset gave us about 20 dozen eggs and they started bringing them in and Harry said, could I have a couple dozen of them eggs? But Harry was kind of like Earl. And I found out people that are that are walking close with God, they're a little bit peculiar. Don't the Bible say something about that? But here's the thing. And I always wanted Harry to tell this here, but he never did tell it. He told it everywhere else, but he never did feel led to tell it here. But when Harry was a little baby, he got some kind of a disease and something to do with his lungs or something, and the doctor said he ain't going to live. Said he's not gonna make it. So Harry and his mother had went to a revival, a little one room school, white church, and the baby was sick, so she summertime she sat out and under a big shade tree and was holding the baby. Brother Earl Hughes was inside preaching. They didn't know him, he didn't know them. Brother Earl got through preaching, they ended the meeting, and he come out and he noticed the, the mother and the little child sitting there. He said, Ma'am, said the What's wrong with your baby? She said, well, he's sick. They, they say he ain't going to live. Brother, Harry, or Brother Hughes said, would you care if I prayed for it? She said, no, and she handed it up to him. He held that little baby and he prayed over it. said, God, let this, let this baby live. and God, take this baby and use this baby for the glory of God. Handed it back to her. rest of it's history. The person he prayed for became a Earl Hughes' self. God used him all over the all over the world. Now I said all that to say this. I said silver can't make you happy. Okay, we're gonna to close tonight on this Earl Hughes quote. And Earl said, Money can't make you happy, but it drives misery away. Earl Hughes. Money can't make you happy, but it does drive misery away. Kind of like Brother Epps. You know, Brother Epps says, they say money can't make you happy, but he said, how come everybody's got it? Seems like they are. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, we'll stop right there. Uh, it's a good place to stop. I was hoping we'd finish the whole chapter tonight, but that's all right. We no hurry. Uh, unless the Lord comes, we'll be back here again next week. Uh, amen. Amen. amen.
All right. Anybody have anything you want to say or ask tonight before we dismiss? Let's stand.